Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's Season 1, Episode 12, starring theatrical lovey Peter Ustinov. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Yay! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jay Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we are here this week, as we are every week, to discuss another episode of The Muppet Show. Jade... Why don't you kick us off with a little production information? This episode was originally broadcast on the 24th of October 1976, which is the week before the last episode that we watched. So we're going back in time from Halloween. We're still picking out our outfits. Um, (laughs) And the production code lists it as the 12th episode made, and therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 12. And there's a little bit of fun, crazy credits with this episode because it is listed as written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson, The Hat Rack, and Jerry Jewell. <laughs> Yay! Oh, I didn't even look to see if it had a little... I saw that as well. That made me laugh at the end. That was so funny. It made me laugh so much. <laughs> I loved it. And just to just to finish up the production info, it was directed, of course, by Peter Harris. Um, but yeah, I loved that they included The Hat Rack. So cute. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I missed the Muppets mid credit scene. I can't believe I missed a little <laughs> Easter egg. You did, Lewis. You did. You have to go back and have a watch (laughs) i slammed that stop button the minute that first white word of the credits like his pads i'm like i'm done (laughs) like (laughs) did you not watch statler and waldorf's little button on the end is there a button on the end of every episode yeah yeah always there's always a button on the end of the episode (gasps) oh no lewis Oh my god! Oh, Emma, this is shocking. Watch the first eleven episodes, like final twenty seconds, all over again. Absolutely (laughs) shocking, isn't it, Jade? Shocking. I'm a very busy woman, and I haven't got all day. (laughs) Lewis, have you uh, have you had any work to do in the past? (laughs) However many months. Jade, I am a wife. I am a homemaker. (laughs) This place doesn't keep itself clean, and those. Meals do not cook themselves. You've got the triplets. Yeah, the triplets. <laughs> I've packed the triplets in the walls and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Emma, why don't you uh, give us some information about uh, this week's guest? Yes, yeah, so um, Peter Yusnoff was an actor, writer, filmmaker, and he Raconteur. was in... And sorry, what? Yeah, renaissance man. Oh, and a renaissance man, yes. And he was um, in... Death in the Nile, which had um, Betty Davis and Angela Lansbury in it. It was kind of like 70s film star swan song movie. Um, he was in Spartacus. It was a Agatha Christie, Emma. It was a, you have to mention it was a Poirot, Emma. It's not a- yeah, he was a Poirot. <laughs> As I was saying, he's won two Oscars. He's won a BAFTA, an Emmy, a Golden Globe. And he's a voice in one of my favourite Disney films, Robin Hood. He plays Prince John. And King Richard. And King Richard. Yeah, oh both my voices. god. I did not realise yeah. that at all. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, literally, I remember I have memories of me being like five and 
watching that film and then being obsessed with the phony King of England song and then bouncing up and down on a bouncy castle, I think, at one of your birthdays, Lou. Do you remember that? We have it on video somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember it from life because I believe I was two. <laughs> but I have seen that uh, that you do that <laughs> on video for our, our, our childhood. Oh, Emma. <laughs> have either of you seen any of the Poirots that Peter Ustinov has done? I don't think I have. Emma, have you? No, I haven't. They are camp as tits. Like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, Death on the Nile is good, but it is camp. Like, we've got Betty Davis as this, like, mean old lady, and Maggie Smith is a kind of slightly butch lesbian, I don't know, carer. Uh, you've got Angela Lansbury playing an elderly psychic woman Kelsey Breeze. Like <laughs> Angela Lansbury playing an old woman for 60 years of her career. And that one is camp enough. Oh, and it's also got, oh, what's the name of um, Mia Farrow playing like a crazy lady. Um, but the, the really camp one is Evil Under the Sun which is Diana Rigg and Maggie Smith like bitching at each other in Spain and then a murder happens. It's and there's this other guy, I can't remember the actor's name. He's this like British actor. He played Arthur in Excalibur or something. And he is wearing like the lewdest swim shorts where they go almost up to his belly button, but they stop like halfway down his butt. They're like little peekaboo swim shorts. And it's like the camera cannot take its eyes off them. It's like every single time it just like cuts back. And Peter Ustinov plays Poirot like like a gay man. It is it's it's sensational. There's a whole sequence in Evil Under the Sun where Poirot goes for a swim and he's in like a Victorian bathing outfit, steps into the water and then just walks up and down the water while like paddling his arms and it's <laughs> and there's like sort of jaunty like brr, 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 music it's and it looks like it's been made for about 10p uh i would <laughs> i would recommend them some of the most horrendous outfits you'll ever see and oh some of the uh, canapes they offer people like cocktail sausages with a glacé cherry on them not even like oh, it's wonderful oh, just, <laughs> wow that sounds very classy the height of sophistication <laughs> It was a very classy episode, in a way. <laughs> like, it felt like it was going for very sort of, like, theatrical shtick. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of that comes from, obviously, the fact that he... Well, whether or not he could sing and dance, he obviously decided that he didn't want to sing and dance on The Muppet Show. <laughs> so it was sort of a case of, okay, we have to do... We have to do sketches and we have to do skits that play to his strengths. I mean, the overwhelming kind of theme that I came away with from the whole episode was Peter Ustinov is doing an accent showcase throughout the entire episode. You know, it felt like one long accent showcase work. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how I felt, Jade. I literally have several points that say accent showcase, accent showcase. <laughs> he liked us every accent under the book. It's hilarious. Including some that he definitely shouldn't have. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> definitely, definitely should not have been doing some of those. And I was quite surprised there wasn't a warning on the front of it, to be honest. Yes, I was quite surprised as well. I mean, I suppose it's only for a line or two. And I suppose it's a vocal impression 
and he's not appropriating the dress or they haven't painted him a different color or anything but <laughs> there was when he well we'll get to it but there was a slight sort of change of mannerism when he got to yes. uh, some of those other accents but uh, we will get to that when we uh, when we do let's let's uh, kick off at the beginning an evening at the pops <laughs> Just before we get into that, I just want to give a shout out to Gonzo getting his mallet stuck in the Muppet Show sign and not actually being able to hit the O because I just thought that was really funny and another good take on Gonzo essentially failing at his one job that he had basically throughout this entire episode. I know he showed up in the chorus of a couple of songs and things, but that was it, wasn't it, really, for Gonzo and he failed miserably and I thought it was very funny. But yes. It was very good. And so again... You never, you never doubt that, you never doubt the puppetry. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, you never doubt that he is trying to put his effort into it and the way he's able to then let go of it. It's, it never feels like, oh, they're trying to do a bit where he can't, it's like, oh yeah, Gonzo can't hit the thing because it's stuck. Yeah. Like, it all, it all just works. It works. And he looks so, so disappointed good. that he wasn't able to do it. He really did look like, oh, okay, great, wonderful. <laughs> fine well that's like his one big moment of the episode (laughs) it's like missing your one line in a two-hour play do you know what i mean be like oh Oh. Oh, but yes after uh after gonzo's uh failure to uh hit the o (laughs) that sounds naughty (laughs) (laughs) uh and kermit's little introduction of peter we go to an evening at the pops why are these balloons so dusty? They've probably been sat on stage for like <laughs> the entire morning. <laughs> They've been setting everything else up. <laughs> yeah, but don't haven't you ever like opened a packet of balloons and they're dusty? I don't know what that dust is. That is it's true, just, Emma. Like, That's a bare, good point. And it's kind of weird. Yeah. I always avoid the blowing up of balloons in any sort of party prep. That is not where my strength lies. I'm not good at tying tiny knots. Or to be honest, have great lung capacity. So to be honest, it's I'm much better at you know arranging the buffet and eating it. Look, sometimes you do have to eat six of those little cocktail sausages to make sure it's even around the outside of the plate. Okay, like, is that with I'm or a without a glacé cherry, Lewis? Always with. Yeah, and you mustn't forget the silver hedgehog of pineapple and cheese. Oh. <laughs> I am I thought this was I mean I I thought this was quite a fun way to start the episode to be honest like obviously we'd seen the balloon head conductor the other week in the ballroom sketch so I was quite sort of I don't know (laughs) maybe not pleased is the right word but I was just like I was like oh he's back that's quite fun um but the the way that they'd done it and I didn't massively recognize the music I don't know if either of you knew it but it's pizzicato which is from Sylvia a ballet and it kind of it it worked didn't it and the usual Mm. standard of Muppet artistry to the synchronization of the pops with the music I did think of you Lewis when we had the the swanny whistle with the balloon deflating at the end. I was like, oh, Lewis is going to be thoroughly happy this is involved in this piece. I mean, it was, it's not, it wasn't my favourite utilisation of the, uh, of the swanny whistle. Uh, <laughs> there is a hierarchy to swanny whistle usage. To be honest, my favourite bit of the sketch was just after it finished, when in the background you saw the headless conductor just bop by and Kermit going, oh yeah, great, great work. And he's just <laughs> bopping along like, oh, I've done my job. That, a background gag like that, 
always love. That is always gold for me. Kermit even said to him, didn't he? He said, sorry about the ending. <laughs> so it was like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that was really good actually. It was quite funny. It was a good little like ending to the um to the sketch. Although we do also have Statler and Waldorf have a little moment with uh, Animal up in their balcony. Now Statler and Waldorf this episode, the girls were fine. Yeah, they were. I noticed that. They they were really at each other, weren't they? There's you know, something had clearly kicked off in that box that we were not privy to, but they were at it. It was bitchy. They had an argument in their one bedroom apartment. <laughs> Before they came to the theatre that evening and just couldn't wait to get more barbs into each other. They were just (laughs) like, and right from the off when animals attacking, hang on. Oh no, we remembered which one was which and now I can't remember which one's which anymore. I believe Statler. Statler is the one with the moustache. I never know. It's so bad. Like even I listen to it and wait for them to like call each other the names. I think Statler is the one with the moustache. No, you're, it is the other way around. That's just what I thought it was. Waldorf is the white. I think, right, this is how I think we should remember it. Waldorf. W, white. Waldorf is the one with the white moustache and the white hair. Oh, well, don't do that. Just do Waldorf, which is W, turn it around, M for moustache. <laughs> okay, or that, but I was just thinking W, they white. They've both got white hair. No, They're old men. Oh, whatever. Like, it's 1970s grainy television. Like, not all of these colours look a bit grey, to be honest. Lewis, I mean, we've just found out you haven't been watching the episodes in full. Now I'm thinking, like, are you even actually watching it in, like, any form of colour or anything? Is yeah. It just... <laughs> I think me and Jen are the like two dedicated members of this team we see it through to the end <laughs> yeah all right emma we'll call you dedicate when you start editing episodes okay like, oh, so- low blow, low blow. <laughs> <laughs> okay so anyway. waldorf w m w white whatever you want to do yes anyway lewis carry on animal so, yeah statler <laughs> just telling animal to like get him get him <laughs> it's just tearing him apart <laughs> I know jumping ahead, but it cracked me up when Waldorf... Well, one, it cracked me up when Waldorf said he was looking for his contact lens and his eyes were all messed up. I thought that was really funny. (laughs) But then also when Statler helped him start looking and then he proper stomped on it. So again, it was like they were in a full-on fight. Like It wasn't just like... It wasn't like, oops, I accidentally stood on your contact lens. It was like, no, (laughs) gone. Also, the crack that that... (laughs) <laughs> contact lens to yes. come. like the bottom of a bottle like you mean, how thick is that contact lens i mean i can't speak to you 1970s contact lenses i'm guessing maybe they were made out of actual bottles <laughs> <laughs> oh god what did you both make of the backstage runner this week i i thought it was quite nice that it actually involved lots of different muppets with kermit and that in a way i suppose it was really kind of kermit's backstage story wasn't it that all of these Muppets kept coming up to him and saying how much they admired and loved Peter Ustinov and how much they basically lost their respect for Kermit. Um, (laughs) Emma, what did you make of it? I thought it was quite funny, actually, because you could see, like, Kermit was getting more and more put out as, like, like you say, each character came on and he was like, but I thought you liked me or I thought you liked my opinion or I thought I was your, like, hero. And they're like, no, Peter is. And... Especially when he thinks Miss Piggy is talking about him again. And then she's like, no, I'm talking about Peter. So yeah, it was quite, it was quite funny to see this week. And it was quite nice to have a like little runner with Kermit and see a little bit more of his character as well, I thought. Mm. It was nice to see a little bit of a deflation of 
this current incarnation of Kermit, where he's a bit more egotistical, yeah. like some of those sort of aspects we've seen in earlier episodes. And actually, the the narrative arc that <laughs> Kermit goes on in this episode that leads to our final number. It's quite interesting because it feels like a shift from this early Kermit that we've come to know from The Muppet Show as it currently exists to a Kermit that seems a lot more familiar, uh, which we can get to later. Yeah, I thought it was much more enjoyable. And considering the sort of the very heavy pun and shtick we were getting on stage, I was very grateful that the offstage antics were a bit more character driven and... The jokes came from their interaction rather than more sort of zany banter. It was, uh, yeah, it was sometimes a welcome relief, (laughs) (laughs) which is we can't often say for a runner on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're saying it slightly more recently, Mm, aren't we? I mean, I know there's still, it's still been very up and down, but they are developing. And I think absolutely with this one, it really was about fleshing out Kermit's character and that felt really nice. It felt mm. really good to see. And yes, not to jump forward, but especially finishing with being green. Like, I kind of didn't see that coming until that final line that he said to Scooter about, I'd turn green with jealousy if I wasn't already green. And I was like, oh, I was like, that sounds a little bit familiar. Wait and I was a like, minute. <laughs> Here we go. I know. I don't want to jump ahead, but I did fully gasp when the song started. <laughs> <laughs> God, we're getting this. Oh, yes, but we'll, we'll uh, uh, blow our load too quickly. Sorry. Anyway, I also really enjoyed in that very first part of the backstage runner when Piggy was saying all of her things about loving and admiring him for years, and Kermit tried to shut her down again and was like, "Piggy, I've told you, I've not got time for it." And she like it was just that that sudden jolt to Kermit where he then actually was a little bit jealous that she was lusting mm. after Peter Ustinov, and she even sort of said like jealousy, like name is Frog or something, and you're just like oh like that's the first time we've seen Kermit show any sign of reciprocating Piggy's feelings in any way. It's all been put down. It's the will they yeah. won't they banter. That's what they come <laughs> for. It's the Mulder and Scully moonlighting, you know, Ross and Rachel, Sam and Diane. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> and it'll, it'll dazzle us for decades to come. I mean come. it better. <laughs> it, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I just mean, I really... We need some new announcements about what the Muppets are up to is all I'm saying, really. <laughs> Can't, I can't be doing with this Muppets Now business. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a freaking mess. Anyway, <laughs> Peter Ustinov reminds me of so many old theatrical lovey actors that I have met yeah. in this industry. It's not just their <laughs> manner and the way they hold themselves, but also his little noises, like his... It's just these little, like, expression, like, wordless vowel sounds that just kind of, like, escape from actors over 55. Like, they're being played like a bagpipe. (laughs) It's, um... God, they must have all just been complete... I dread to think what working in theatre must have been like in the 60s and 70s. It must have just been depraved and weird and drunk and... Everything must have stank of cigarettes. <laughs> like It was just a luscious world and, you know, everyone else was living yeah, in it, I exactly. think. Like, 
I did. I I know exactly what you mean. Even with that little, when we got the introduction of the hat rack yes. joke and the sort of anything can be a muppet and all of that interplay. I was cracked up at the way that he was stood. He was stood so awkwardly, but he was also stood exactly like you were just saying, Lewis, like so many kind of old school theatre lovies. Like it's this kind of like slightly pompous, but also still slightly awkward. They're held in a position where it's like, and ready to go onto stage. Like it's it's like a, it's an anticipatory yes. yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, stance. It's really odd. Yeah, really strange. <laughs> but yeah, I did, I, I quite liked... I, oh, yeah, so that was one thing I did... Well, you probably both noticed. Obviously, there was no talk spot this week. But I read that apparently they did film one, but they cut it. Oh. Um, I don't know where that... You know, I don't know whether that does exist anywhere or whether it's just been lost to the ether. Maybe they felt it was just too close to this yeah. business at the beginning. Well, and also, I guess also because all of his other things were just sketches because he didn't do any songs or anything. Mm. It's like you don't really need him to sit down with Kermit. But yeah, that's what I was just going to say, like... Considering we didn't have a talk spot, this was quite a nice, happy medium, mm. I think, of of having this moment. I wonder if this is what we're going to see in later seasons, knowing as we do that the talk spot disappears after the first season. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind that, to be honest. I, you know, as much as any Muppet brother can thrive or fail, depending on the writing, the guest, the whatever. I mean, yeah, it, it will be a shame to sort of see it go. But if this is what's going to replace it, then... Maybe it won't be too bad. No, I completely agree. So then we go into our first sketch with um, Peter and he's with uh, Dr. Honeydew and we're back in Muppet Labs. And, um, <laughs> he's with here... Emirac <laughs> working its way in the background. Yeah, and um, here we start with um, accent <laughs> showcase number one. And slash dodgy <laughs> impressions, not yeah. even just accent. Dodgy robot acting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the dodgiest impressions. Look, Peter Ustinov may be a two-time Oscar-winning actor, but an impressionist, <laughs> he is he not. Is not. <laughs> I was like, I think that's a Churchill and... I guess he's doing the fingers, so I guess that's a Nixon. But then from like, I feel like I could do a better Nixon. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, I am not a cook. And that is fully just from watching The Simpsons. I don't think I've ever watched any real footage of Richard Nixon in my life. Like, it's all just from other media has shown me how Richard Nixon behaves. It's like... <laughs> I was really pleased to see Dr. Honeydew back. But then when it actually came to the sketch, I was quite disappointed, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, there were sort of ticks and different things that Peter Ustinov was doing to obviously show that he was meant to be a robot. Like when he said at the end of the Churchill impression, he said prevail. And then he kept repeating veil, 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 as if the robot was sort of winding down a little bit. But on the whole, you know, he was obviously just doing these dodgy impressions, just doing accent showcase, some of which he definitely, as we've already said, should not have been doing. And I just, I did not find it funny. I just did not find it funny. It was the, um, the, his attempt at robot-like movement reminded me of whenever I've been in a show that asks for Mm. some like physical theatre or movement piece and you've got a member of the cast who is over <laughs> over 50 and you see the slight sort of like tired resentment <laughs> slash dread being like, I can't believe I have to do a movement piece now where it's like they're giving about like 
60 to 70 percent and they're like give me text i can work with text but it's like please don't make me move my arms around (laughs) Uh, yeah it was but no you're right it it didn't feel committed did it he didn't he didn't throw himself into being a robot politician yeah i don't know whether like what they'd come up with was just him improvising, just coming up with turns on the spot. It wasn't him improvising because you could see in this and almost every sketch, every four or five seconds, his eyes would dart to the left and I assumed he must have some (laughs) cue cards just off camera. So like, I felt like he was like 75% familiar with the words and then just was still like having these little bullet pointed notes just off camera just to help him along. Maybe they didn't have him for that long. I don't know. Considering that, as we've already said, this whole episode felt like Accent Showcase, I feel like they obviously decided to lean really far into that. Mm. And maybe in the 70s, this was funnier. I mean, obviously, Nixon was relevant, Churchill wasn't that long ago. I don't know whether some of those other impressions were of other leaders who would have been more known to people at the time or whether they were just sort of generic impressions Mm. of German, Spanish, French, Italian, whatever else we had going on there. I don't know. It just did not land for me today. Mm. It just did not. At the end of this sketch, it made me sort of wonder, what does The Muppet Show do with a performer like Peter Ustinov? Somebody who maybe necessarily isn't a triple threat or doesn't have like a secret singing skill or is also a trained dancer Mm -hmm. and I was trying to think of who an equivalent actor today would be and what you would do with them Mm. it's kind of like I suppose it's kind of like if you got Carrie Mulligan, do you know what I mean? Onto the Muppet Show. Like maybe it's just because I just watched her SNL today, but she's not really a singer and I assume she doesn't dance. So it's sort of like you have to build it around sketches and characters. And I think the Muppets would be better equipped at doing that now, but because they are a variety show, when you can't have cut to a song or cut to a dance number with your guest for that week it does limit your freedom at what you can do and I suppose also do you really want to try and convince Peter Euston off to go and dance with a bunch of Muppets do you want to be the person to have that conversation (laughs) but it kind of strikes me as even weirder than that they filmed a talk spot and took it out because actually again I don't know exactly what they did in the talk spot because obviously we've not watched it it's not in the episode but maybe pulling on his star persona a bit more and teasing that out a little bit more might have at least given another angle or another little bit of a layer to him Mm. than just repeatedly doing accent showcase work which is essentially what we have throughout the rest of the episode to be fair on some of the characters he didn't necessarily need to have an accent it was just a choice that peter ustinov made (laughs) but that's why he still did it lewis though he still did it you can't say no to peter ustinov do you know what i mean like (laughs) oh i I agree, though. It is it is interesting to see, I suppose, the closest to this that we've had so far, and in a way I think that episode was less successful, was the Harvey Corman yes. episode, where, again, the guests didn't do any singing or dancing. But it will be curious to see how that continues going forward, um, and if they work out how better to deal with guests that can't or don't want to participate in Muppet songs and dances. Mm. Something that was also very curious... And we just got it briefly in this, the second part of the backstage runner. The acknowledgement of Muppet nudity in the conversation between Fozzie and Kermit. It's always really weird, I find, when 
either Muppets or cartoon characters acknowledge that they are not wearing any clothes because <laughs> <laughs> you don't question it until they point it out <laughs> like and then you're suddenly like yeah it's so true because like you think about that bit and then obviously when Kermit says I'm not wearing any pants and then he said Peter can't do that and then you're like hold up a minute wait a minute no none of them are wearing any <laughs> like what's but happening but I then think, when like, I, I was thinking about like oh you don't question it with Kermit but if Miss Piggy walked out not wearing an yeah. evening gown you'd be like oh, oh yeah. my god she's naked yeah and then Fozzie Bear is only wearing a hat yeah and a it's really I think it's really odd it's really weird kind of like Kermit you accept it yeah Fozzie he's kind of got his neckerchief but like you say it would be super weird if like Piggy wasn't wearing an evening gown or some kind of like outfit yeah but it doesn't make you question Kermit. It's such a weird thing. I don't I don't quite know how. Like, we just accept it. It's quite a strange thing that we accept some Muppets who essentially aren't wearing any clothes to, like, other Muppets who do. And I don't know if it's because in a weird way, and I know that she's a pig, but do we see Miss Piggy is more human than Kermit as a frog? Is that why? Okay, but why does it feel okay for Kermit to be naked? But when, if you pictured Rizzo the rat without him wearing a shirt or trousers, it would be like, why is that rat not wearing any clothes? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's no closer to being a human than Kermit is. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there is no yeah, hard and true. fast rule to Muppet nudity. The Rizzo thing's interesting. I mean, I think, I think you think it was weird with any of them that you're used to seeing with clothes on if they then suddenly didn't have clothes on. I totally... I think that's just obviously that's because you're used to those characters in that way. So that's just sort of fact, isn't it? It's like you get used to them wearing something or not wearing something. So if that was reversed, that would be strange. But I do wonder. But not really, because I was thinking about because they put Kermit in like a bow tie sometimes, yeah. or they put him in clothes. And again, your brain doesn't question it. <laughs> like no, yeah. that's true. So I guess it's not it's not necessarily if if they don't wear clothes, but then they do. It looks weird. It's actually just if the mm. ones that do wear clothes weren't wearing clothes it would be weird but I wonder if there's something around specifically around Piggy and I'm thinking about maybe some of the other female Muppets if there's something around how they're designated as female and that Mm. and that the costume obviously helps towards that because there's something about Piggy wearing a slinky dress and having her cape around her and even with Janice not being like the fully formed Janice at the moment, but she's still wearing like a little crop top and she's still got her very specific style. And the same with Hilda being this kind of older wardrobe lady and everything. I don't know. Like, I wonder if it just gives them more personality and more character through the clothes. But what about the chickens? Well, that's, the that was, I was, female chickens? I was thinking about the chickens already, but then I guess that's, I mean, okay, can anyone think of a chicken who wears... Actually, does that Looney Tunes, does he wear a t-shirt? Do you mean the cockerel? Yeah. No, he doesn't. Well, sure, I'll say sure. No, he's new. The only chickens that I can think of who might wear accessories, but they're not necessarily wearing clothes, is in Chicken Run. That's a good show. (gasps) Oh, yeah, they're naked. But that's what I was just thinking. Like, is is it just that we accept that chickens, because they have feathers... I can see that. We're not already looking at their... Mm. bare bodies i don't know <laughs> no i know no because now i'm thinking about it. weirdly the only thing i can think of with female presenting characters where they are also usually not wearing clothes is a lot of Ardman mm-hmm. stuff so yeah emma you're right chicken run but also like robbie the reindeer i remember has female reindeers and they have these weird little just like <laughs> like stuck on boobs oh, onto God. their like reindeer bodies <laughs> but even in wallace and gromit if you get like the female dog that's in a matter matter of loaf and mm. death 
her fuzz is shaped in a way that she seems to have a more female yeah. form. Yeah. yeah, that's so strange. I'd never really thought maybe it's just a... And also, even if you think of like the the kind of core Disney characters, obviously people sort of mm. joke about like Donald Duck not having anything on his bottom but daisy obviously always has a skirt or a dress on yeah and minnie wouldn't be seen without something <laughs> covering her yes. her modesty would she um yeah i but then pluto i mean pluto's just a dog but then goofy wears clothes i do not know i mean it, it's we're going we're, we're, I was gonna say, we're, we're going spiraling. down a bit of a like rabbit hole <laughs> no but i think it's it is interesting and i think it's totally like you said, Lewis, when they call it out, you know, when they actually mm. make a joke of it, it's not just a case of, oh, you're just accepting that Kermit is wearing his little collar and that's it. Mm. It's like, you know, Fozzie's basically just said, Kermit, you're naked on the television. <laughs> like, family entertainment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so odd. We are contractually obligated to acknowledge <laughs> the existence of the ballroom sketch <laughs> because... It is there. Didn't like a single one apart from the final joke with Rolf and the chorus girl. One before the joke even started. I really loved the fun little bob they were doing in their dance. Yeah, they were doing a good dance. Good dance. I, I really enjoyed their little... And just Rolf looked so like, I don't know, suave and committed. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, and then uh, that very game chorus girl gets uh, punched in the face. <laughs> I could see the joke coming a mile off as soon as they mentioned Punchbowl. I was like, obviously, this is what's coming. But yeah. I did still enjoy her having her flattened little whatnot face. I was like, yes, fine. Yeah. It was quite short again, wasn't it? So Yeah. Um, what's her name? Oh, I've forgotten her name. And we after we learned so much about her in the Charles Aznavour episode. Mildred. 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 Mildred did a full, like, death becomes her 180 <laughs> degree ne- like head turn after George made his little joke to give us a look to camera, which meant that her neck had fully, like, twisted round. I was like, that is the commitment to a, like, double take that you've basically <laughs> broken your spine to be like, I admire that commitment. She's just still so annoyed that she's stuck with George after having, you know, having danced with Charles Aznavour. She's just like, damn it, George. We all miss Charles Aznavour. <laughs> well, you might. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move it. Let's move along. Uh, when Sam the Eagle turned up, I'm guessing you two both thought the same as me, which was that Wayne and Wanda were about to appear yeah i did i did because he started talking about like getting it back on track and i thought oh here we go but no we we go into um peter and fozzy's lecture do you know what he actually said emma he actually said something along the lines of he was there to help with the never-ending struggle to uplift these proceedings i was like so committed (laughs) so committed oh poor sam the eagle and yet all sam the eagle brings is two terrible (laughs) singers like (laughs) What is he bringing? Nothing. (laughs) Why wouldn't Sam the Eagle be doing this sketch with Peter Ustinov? That would make so much more sense, wouldn't it? Oh, that would have been amazing, actually. And actually, you could have had a better reaction than, I feel like I'm going to draw my line in the sand here. The worst pun we have had on The Muppet Show thus far. I burst out laughing when they said it. But it was more, I think, in, like, shock that we'd had this entire sketch that led up to a Benny shaved is a Benny earned. I was just like, what? 
<laughs> I think my incredulity level had just reached like the the oh, absolute max. I know. <laughs> I, and do you know what it reminded me of when he stood there with his like cigar? Mm. And it reminds me of like every seventies like chat show when the, you know they used to come on with like the cigars. They're like ashtrays on the table, yeah. whiskey just, on yeah. the table. Yeah, ready to go. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Fozzie was quite good in this sketch. Yeah, he was I agree, like Emma. sort of more back to normal Fozzie, not just like sad. <laughs> one-liner fuzzy and he had quite a lot of good interaction and i thought he was like quite it was nice to see him quite physical as well because mm. normally we only see like mm. a little top half of fuzzy and he his reactions were quite funny and when he was sort of like turning to camera and and everything else but yeah it was quite a long sketch for that um that punchline at the end if we can call it a punchline we got the pun and I just went, oh my God, and just paused. <laughs> I literally just, I had to pause and get up for a minute and just be like, just walk around for a moment, just like get some water. Just be like, Jesus, I cannot believe we did this run up for this. And Emma, I had the same thought as you as well. When um, Peter was just smoking on his cigar, I was like, this is a children's show. <laughs> like... <laughs> can you imagine today if they were like oh yeah we've got such and such on but they're just gonna be smoking a cigarette for this sketch it would just what a what a change in society that people can no longer casually smoke their cigar on a show that's aimed at prime time for children when i watched it through the second time i realized that the ending when they both collapsed into absolute hysterics really reminded me of the I love to laugh section of Mary Poppins and I don't know if that's just because it was just so stupid and they were both just cracked up so much Mm. that I actually felt like there was maybe something in the kind of energy the way that Fozzie just kept trying to egg him on to tell this story was a bit like I guess the interplay between Bert and Uncle Albert and I'm not trying to take this too far because I realise that it's very different but there was just something about I suppose being surrounded by a bunch of people who were absolutely beside themselves with laughter like could not stop and just thought it was the funniest thing in the world and I guess I kind of felt a bit like Mary Poppins and was like (laughs) tapping my toe and a bit like we need to get a move on here yeah we've got another hour and a half of the movie to go (laughs) like (laughs) we've still got a major diversion into the bank that we've got to get through (laughs) times are wasted but but this is what I meant when I when I said earlier it feels like a very kind of theatrical sticky kind of episode so actually the comparison to Bert and Uncle Albert is a great comparison because it is that kind of like like it's it's Groucho Marx Mm. it's vaudeville it's that sort of like I hear it share it share it share it share it oh what's it better 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 like it's just a one two one two boom or like a one two one two one two one two one two boom and that is exactly what a lot of this felt. It felt just very old school kind of back and forth, bad puns and a bit of wordplay. It just felt very theatrical. And again, it, it it feels very of its time. You couldn't really do any of these sketches now. Maybe robo-politician, but even then it would be a bit more, you would do it with somebody who was known for impressions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just a... Uh, or you'd have it with a bit more of a satirical edge rather than just a accent showcase. You'd sort of you'd sort of turn the dial between Labour to Conservative to Lib Dem on every topic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good sketch. <laughs> Note to self. TikTok sketch. Robot politician. <laughs> 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 Gotta get down with the kids. Gotta get it on the TikTok. 
I really enjoyed the UK spot this week. It was actually one of my highlights of the episode. I didn't know the song at all, which, fun fact, I believe has got the longest title of a song to ever reach number one in the US charts. There's a tidbit you didn't think I'd be telling you today. A pub quiz. Uh, So (laughs) to give it its full title, it's Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done, Somebody Wrong Song. And uh, yeah, it won a Grammy for Best Country Song. Don't you know? And uh, (laughs) I, well, firstly, the first time we've seen Piggy take a lead Mm -hmm. and have a number, not just as part of the chorus or as part of the glee club or, you know, the other things that we've seen her do. And I just loved it that it started with Piggy and Fozzie and Rolf. And then you had that moment where so many of the other Muppets that are, you know, have got genuine storylines in the season that we've seen so far joined in with Hilda and Gonzo and George and Mildred and Scooter and everyone. And yeah, I just, I thought it was really cute and fun. And I really loved Piggy was in full Piggy mode, you know, being overdramatic, throwing herself on the piano mugging to camera at certain points when Fozzie was singing and then at the end when she collapsed in tears on Rolf and said oh I miss Kermit so Mm. and even Rolf wiped a tear away and I just just really enjoyed it. (laughs) She was in full Gilda Marlena Dietrich kind of sort Mm. of like every pose you could think (laughs) that I've always wanted to do against an upright piano (laughs) (laughs) and have been told sir please get off the piano (laughs) like (laughs) Even in a rehearsal room, they're like, please don't touch that. I'm like, fine. It was, uh, yeah, I really, I really liked it as well. I I felt like I was vaguely familiar with the song from where I do not know, but I really liked it as well. And it's a, yeah, it's a shame that it would have been wasted as a a UK spot. So um, American audiences wouldn't have, wouldn't have previously seen it. What a shame to sort of when we're getting more and more piggy spotlighted per week to, uh, to then lose her to (laughs) advertisements for, (laughs) <laughs> pharmaceuticals and cigarettes <laughs> also bizarre i guess that there were so few songs and dances in this episode that that would have meant that anyone who didn't get the uk spot would have had one less song mm. in the episode as well so it would have felt even more sketch heavy yeah no jade i agree i think it's a shame that they kind of decided to use this song as a uk spot because you know like you've both said like most of the UK spots we've seen so far have been pretty poor and instrumental kind of, like, jazz. They're lucky that they don't have to put up with it. But this week, I did think it was a shame that, you know, they used it for that. It, I think it would have definitely been something that could have broken up the like mm. sketch heaviness of this episode. And it was just it was just really lovely. And like you say, Piggy was in full swing and like her reactions and like and also Rolf's reaction. I kind of wrote down about Rolf even wiping his tear yeah. away and it was just really nice to see them all and it was just it was a really nice mm. song as well yeah. I thought. well deserved Grammy yes <laughs> did anybody else also really enjoy the most sustained look we've ever had at the Muppet audience yeah <laughs> like yeah. at the end of the song we got this little pan around to these bunch of weirdos in the audience and I was like <laughs> I just really enjoyed it I wrote down long applause I was like they really enjoyed that <laughs> That was that was the highlight of the episode for the Muppet audience as well as as well as for me, mm. apparently. <laughs> Once again, my theory that they suddenly found the expiry date on all the dynamite that they seem to have purchased <laughs> oh, I know. for the beginning of this season gains more traction with you do something to me, which <laughs> genuinely like I fear for the puppeteers' ears singed hair eyebrows like the sheer volume of explosions in this two minute sketch was 
unfathomable. <laughs> like it was insane. How much? How much gelatin explosives did they purchase? Did they like? <laughs> was there a bulk deal? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, this was on in the run up to Halloween, and therefore also Guy Fawkes Day. So maybe they just thought. We're going to get the British public into the swing of uh, blowing up a load of stuff. Yeah. Did you both realise that this is actually the return of You Do Something To Me? It was what Wayne and Wanda sung the other week when they did the magician sketch. Oh, yeah. I thought I recognised the song and I didn't know why because it was like a completely different context. Yeah. And also I, I did think as well... Every time the assistant changed with the explosion, they were really weird, like, animal, like, creature bodies, weren't they? It was, like, such a bizarre mishmash of, like, animals. and The entire sketch had a very odd vibe. Emma, I wrote down in my notes that the Victorian parlour set that they seemed to be taking place in had a really, really, like, 1970s Doctor Who vibe. Yes. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it felt very like, I don't know, like Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen running around a country house, like from some mummies or something. It just felt, <laughs> plus all the explosions as well, and just the general creepy vibe. It was, um, yeah, it, just, it, it was very odd. And all these bewitched style smash cuts, just like every 10 seconds, like waiting for Indora to just like pop out of nowhere. Just... Samantha. I did really enjoy that, like, after it had gone through, like, the fish, the snake, the dragon, the pot plant, whatever, you then got the mixed up versions of those together. And I thought they were really, really ingenious and kind of crazy and definitely, absolutely, like, Muppet Anarchy turned up to 11. But also, like, I did enjoy the actual punchline at the end when she returned to her pearls and her lilac top, but was, like, the full-on monster Muppet in the same style as the Svengali wizard, whatever, who was... who was <laughs> Svengali wizard. <laughs> was, what, attacking her? I don't even know what you would say. Yeah, yeah bewitching her, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was a... <laughs> I don't know. It felt very Muppets that actually the eventual line was that she was being returned to her natural state, which was sort of monstrous. It's a very familiar Muppet beat, isn't it? We had it yes. before with the um, I Feel Pretty Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of more, I don't want to say threatening. It's kind of that slightly more... It's got like a yeah sinister sinister edge. sinister yeah. edge to the moment, um yeah. that we've seen a few times on this season, but feels very unfamiliar to us from a sort of more modern Muppet perspective. Beyond mm -hmm. intentionally evil characters like Snid is it Snidely? What's the blue guy? Sneedly. Do you think of Uncle Deadly? Uncle Deadly. That was it. Sorry. So <laughs> you apart say from Sneedly, I was like, I'm sure it's not an S. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just thinking of <laughs> of all things. I think I was thinking of a school of rock, Mr. Schneebly. Oh, Schneebly! Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's only in my head because somebody on Twitter just shared a really fantastic, like, ten-second clip of Joan Cusack from that movie, where she just walks into her own office and all of the parents are there, and she just goes, "I have just been informed." that all your children are missing and yeah. she does <laughs> I love, I love, I do love like Joan Cusack in that film. She's amazing. <laughs> and she does like this Nicole Kidman sort of like, whoop, arms, <laughs> like, kind of like bopping out. Oh, yeah, it's not God. Mr. Schneebly, Uncle Deadly. 
Yeah. Uncle Deadly. Sorry for that. Very bizarre. We really, that really went round the houses there. So this really... isn't even a Muppets After Dark and we're still all over the shop. No. It's quarter past three on a Sunday. We should be watching Songs of Praise or something. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's that sort of just off kilter mm-hmm. Muppet creepy vibe that, unless it's directly associated with the character being evil or them being part of a plot, we're not so familiar with anymore. And it, it does feel a very sort of early incarnation Muppets where just some of them are a bit weird. Like it's the haunted house opening from the Joel Grey episode where. You're just like, ooh, these are all just a bit unsavoury characters. And I yeah. don't feel comforted by these people. <laughs> Freaks. <laughs> it's just still weird to think that, like, in the Muppet world, those Muppets are hanging out with Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo behind the scenes. I mean, I don't think they're at the, the same table. <laughs> no, but that's, Do you know what I mean? That's I the think, weird thing, though. I think they're hanging out in some kind of dumpster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like... Or up in the rafters. She like. had her pearls, Lewis. She was a classy monster, you know? <laughs> As I can tell you from many a night out, pearls does not a lady make, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emma, I'm guessing that for the Muppet News Flash, you made a note of accent showcase number two. I did, Jade. Or maybe even I number did. three, actually. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> accent showcase number three. <laughs> yes, when we had the um, the sort of bit was the uh, cure for the common cold. And yes, and we had the weird, going to say kind of, what accent was he trying to do? German, Well, he Austrian? was meant to be from Denmark. Denmark, Danish. Danish. Yeah, again, it was kind of quite random, quite 70s, quite yeah. lovey, bloated, drunk actor, kind of ready cheeked. <laughs> bloated, drunk actor. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Emma, tell us it's how you really feel. Like, generically, like a bit seventies, a bit bad, to very specific. <laughs> I mean, we don't know anything about Peter Ustinov's drinking habits, Emma. We can't just assume he's a drunk. True, no, but it has like that seventies kind of. Vi- I don't know. It's just the vibe it gives. No, I-, <laughs> I feel like that's just going to be the first three words of my obituary now. Bloated drunk actor Lewis Chandler dies. <laughs> Of his own stupidity. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's another shtick, isn't it? And, oh, I mean, I can't believe you guys didn't notice it. The cue card eyes were in full effect during this newsflash number. I was paying more attention to the Muppet Newsman, who, I don't know if you both noticed, but at the end, he threw his head back and his glasses went over his head. And then when he finished saying the line, he threw his head forward and his glasses came back to his beautiful nose, Lewis. I don't want to bring that up too much. <sighs> I was sort of distracted <laughs> by watching him because he was uh, he was having more fun than Peter Ustinov, I think, to be honest. Yeah, I, I didn't know whether that was like intentional, unintentional, but it was quite fun. It was quite fun to see. I didn't clock that at all. But as we now know, I don't actually watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> best you're just looking on the wikipedia for it i I glance at it (laughs) i suppose the one thing you can say about this is it's where we're used to seeing accent showcase so as soon as it turned up i was like of course we're getting it in this episode because the whole episode is accent showcase but very 70s very 70s and then we had the return of sam eagle which i was like oh you're back. I assume you are now back for Wayne and Wanda for your <laughs> yeah. appropriate job that we all know you for. And as soon as they started singing about falling leaves, I was like, 
they're getting covered. Like this is there's yeah. only there's only one way this is ending. It seemed really short this week. It was. At this point I kind of want like to just subvert our expectations entirely. Mm. Like start singing mm. autumn leaves and then just have them shot with a cannon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just have it make no sense at all. Just fully <laughs> lean into the fact that it's just Looney Tunes style madness. Have them start singing, I don't know, I get a kick out of you and then have them just get smacked with a mallet. Like just just nothing at all to do with the song anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm fully done with Wayne and Wanda. Like they are not worth it. I just thought that obviously we knew what was going to happen, but even though it was quite quick, the leaves just dropped really slowly. Yeah. I think even if they'd literally done like a dump of leaves and it completely covered them and that was it, it might have hit a little bit more. But yeah. it was kind of like, oh, okay, that's it. Like you say, it just needs to jump out of its comfort zone or just do something a bit different. Or if it's going to do like a visual gag, be a bit sharper, just be over the top. Yeah, choose better songs. You know, do Mac the Knife and have Wayne eaten by a shark. Have something that's a bit more creative. I've just looked up Wayne and Wanda because I just thought, seeing as Lewis has said he's done with them, I'm just curious how much longer we actually have to go on them. <laughs> and it looks like, as the incarnation of Wayne and Wanda, as a pair singing together, it looks like it's only a season one runner. So actually, I'm guessing that they maybe got as bored with it as we did in terms of it being a very one note joke that they just kept repeating. So it's only till the end of the season, Lewis. I really hope we get some sort of episode at the end that's just a 25 minute bottle episode of Wayne and Wanda in their dressing room deciding to break up the double act. (laughs) (laughs) Just a 25 minute play of the day done entirely seriously. (laughs) Like fully committed, just monologues. Maybe somebody has an alcoholic problem. <laughs> Maybe wanders on pills. She's doing the Judy Garland, got like her amphetamines like sewn into her costume. <laughs> like maybe there was a child they had who ran away and like just <laughs> Wow, do I need to write this play? <laughs> like... Maybe it's what's gonna launch you into the stratosphere, Lewis. Oh my god. Wayne and Wonder, the alcohol he is. <laughs> it could be Wayne and Wonder with a question mark. Special. Actually, I don't want to play a character called Wayne. No. You could play Wanda. There's nothing stopping you playing Wanda. You're right. Oh my God. (laughs) Also, I'm not really interested in playing that part. Why? He's called Wayne. I just, (laughs) this is why I am at the level I am. (laughs) (laughs) I know we are usually very indifferent to the panel sketch. And to be honest, I was mostly indifferent to this one too. But the introduction of Cynthia Birdley, this <laughs> May West meets Jewish New York mother character, I fell in love instantly. <laughs> Do you know what? I just realised that it feels like she should be on Brooklyn Beats. Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. With I wrote down sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I wrote down that exact thing. I adore <laughs> Cynthia Birdley and I really hope this is not the one and only time we see her. I have pretty good luck when it comes to me having irrational connections to what seemed like one-time Muppets popping up again. So I pray that this isn't the last we see of this wonderful character. I loved her. She just kind of reminded me of like, you know, the real housewives of New York, like Jill Zarin. Yes. Jill Zarin. Jill Zarin. <laughs> Yeah, Zarin Fabric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and she looked like the receptionist and the headmistress from Greece. 
<laughs> who are low-key my favourite characters yes, in the movie. Yes, That would be another great spin-off play for you to write, Lewis. Just, <laughs> yeah. just those two, Blanche and Mrs... What's her name? Oh my god. Oh, Phelps. Miss Phelps? No. Oh, Blanche, stop blubbering. Miss McGee! Miss McGee. Yeah, that sounds right. I love Miss McGee. I fully thought for a long time it was a man in drag, <laughs> but it's just a woman. <laughs> I, I just I just love the part where she's got her little xylophone. I just like to mention that we basically mention Greece every week and I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we do because <laughs> Greece is a very, very important key text in my <laughs> Yes, like, me, me too. <laughs> formative text. I mean, I feel like I could recite that movie. It's yeah. me and my friend Emma Gallagher once had a plan where we wanted to go up to the Edinburgh Fringe and do a two-person version of Greece, but we would have a big spinner in the middle of the stage where for the entrance of every new character, we would spin it and we would see who would play that character that night. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. And I think Greece is like the only time I've ever done karaoke, not bar being in your house, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> With the swans, Emma. Oh my god, the swans and the cheap knockoff video with the... <laughs> <laughs> we had the... I mean, I know all karaoke videos are bad, but I swear my parents managed to find the worst karaoke videos. There was just these two randoms in a rowboat going around with, like, these swans. Yeah. And it was just... It was just awful. A song it, from Greece. Yeah. No, I don't know what the song was from. It was probably, like, Westlife or something, but it was just, like... I don't know. All the videos were like that. They were just awful. They just literally looked like two random people had picked up their VCR and just gone and filmed themselves like on a day out somewhere. Yes. And then gone, this is what we can do. We can sell it to a karaoke company. <laughs> yeah, oh they were bad. So, Very bad. Yeah. I mean, so just to pull us vaguely back on track. the Vaguely back. <laughs> the panel sketch on uh, psychiatry, which again feels like a very dated kind of 1960s 1970s my doctor's a quack mm. like psychiatry and you know he's a head shrinker kind of completely jokes it all and feels the jokes very were totally like that like the runner with him you know he started by saying hello mummy then he couldn't say freud there were so many jokes that were just completely off the time about how people talked about psychiatry and psychiatrists yeah in the 70s like it was just Ugh, it was so of its time. The two things that I did appreciate, other than Cynthia Berkeley, Lewis's new favourite Muppet. What a dream. The set was blue instead of the beigey brown colour. I don't know whether... It was gorgeous. Yeah, I don't know whether that was new for this episode or whether we'd missed that as a detail in one of the other panel shows recently. But I did notice that at least the set looked a lot nicer. than It had um, it had what, uh, Jade, you'll know, is termed as bisexual lighting. Yes. It had... <laughs> It had the blue-purple kind of a crossfade colour. And the other thing I really enjoyed in it was, I mean, I could take or leave Peter Ustinov with his sort of spitting, but I loved Kermit responding to his spitting. Like, Kermit was constantly wiping his face and sort of pulling little faces that he was just totally fed up with this psychiatrist spitting on him. Yeah. And then at one point, 
Piggy reached over to Kermit and like stroked his back yeah, as if to say, no. "Yes, I saw that too." There, there, you're getting there. It's okay. Um, and yeah, I, I know. just, I really, I did oh. really, really enjoy Kermit in this sketch. I thought he was um just great, really, really fantastic little interactions. And again, a side of Kermit that we haven't really seen. He's always very deferential to the host, mm. but with this, it was like actually he was getting pretty annoyed at constantly being spat on. Emma, what did you think? Like you said, Jade, I thought um, Kermit, his reactions were just really clever Mm. because obviously, again, whoever is obviously operating Kermit, um, I'm assuming it was probably Jim, I just thought it was really, really clever Mm. because he literally just didn't miss a beat. And like you said, like him you know, wiping his face and ducking. And then like the bit with Miss Piggy kind of like stroking his back. It, I just thought that was really, really clever. Um, but yeah, both what you said, it had quite a 70s kind of shtick to it to like psychiatry and psychiatrists. But I did love Cynthia as well. She was just I knew you would, Emma. so brilliant. You and then would. when he was talking about complex and then she was like, yeah, my aunt lives in the complex next to the Murphys. And then... <laughs> Uh, that whole bit was really funny as well, and it definitely like lifted the sketch. I really hope she comes back. I really like her. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Peter Ustinov's sign-off, because he signed off instead of Kermit, because they were all ducked under which the table. Which was cute, to be fair, which was very cute, and then coming back up again. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Uh, he had two sign-offs, didn't he? Because he signed off the panel show, which obviously Kermit would normally do, and then he also signed off the whole show as... He did, a Kermit yeah. impersonation, but with this probably one, his he... strongest impersonation in the entire episode, yes. which is not saying much. But <laughs> no, but he did at least wave his arms around in a Kermit esque fashion. In a when fabulous jacket, I have to say, I did enjoy his <laughs> final outfit. But I did enjoy in this one when he finally finished, and he was like, "And I won't be there." And I was like, "Yes, you won't go away." <laughs> good, good. My hatred for Scooter has another (laughs) point on my tally yet again. Despite the fact that he is only doing what the rest of the runner and every other character has done, does so in such a tactless, stupid way that I I loathe him. I absolutely hate him. (laughs) No, he doesn't deserve sympathy. Oh, so wait, I was meant to be asking, wasn't I? So we're still not back on the Scooter Scooter, Lewis? No. Oh, (laughs) no. Truly not. If it was a micro scooter, it's like not only folded down. I've tried to erect the first part, but I got my finger caught in one of the really sharp metal bits. And in a fit, I've thrown it to the side and run inside to say I've hurt myself. That is the level of hatred I have for the scooter scooter right now. I don't know if you both noticed, but Scooter turned his back to the camera twice and you could see the back of his eyes and it was weird. What? What? (laughs) Sorry, this has just blown my mind. Wait, what? (laughs) Sorry to spoil the illusion, children, but because Scooter's eyes are in his glasses, and they are just in his glasses, he turned his back to the camera, and when he turned, you could see into the back of his glasses. So you could see the... I do not know if they're concave or convex. I do not remember these things. But you could see the spherical shape. If he turned around, they would be concave. Because they're convexed when he's looking forward. Okay, I trust you. Um. (laughs) Well, a cave is a thing that goes in, isn't it? So that would be a concave. I have no idea. (laughs) I don't remember. That's what I'm going on. It's a long time. 
Emma, didn't you do a geography Jesus? That was like, <laughs> I don't know, like geography UK. I don't know how many years ago now. I don't remember. <laughs> Would it be geometry, I guess? I don't. Let me see. Hold on. Let me see if I can get a little no great god jade like this is this isn't even like a fun detour like greece like this is just us <laughs> no it's just more that so you can see it because it's just weird oh yeah oh my gosh oh look at that that is really weird see? thank you yeah. thank you lewis <laughs> no i didn't mean it i didn't mean it in a bad way but weirdly i kind of don't think of it as breaking the illusion because actually from a sort of perspective thing it kind of just looks like we're seeing the top of his eyeballs and the little black dots on top and just the glasses are kind of also there. Oh, for me, it doesn't break the illusion. Oh no, it weirdly. does for me. I genuinely find that really weird. I don't know what you should see on that side, but I guess it's the fact that there's, you know, unlike Kermit's got his little like golf ball bits, hasn't he? And yeah. Scooter's got the illusion of those, but then there is actually nothing there. Anyway, I just thought it was odd. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I should be on drugs for this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. Just... You only see what your eyes want to see. <laughs> Although, well, I mean, getting into a more melancholic state, thank you, Madonna's Frozen, the lead from this backstage bit into It's Not That Easy Being Green. Yeah. So again, Scooter's doing some good in the world, Lewis, because he... No, it, good <laughs> happens despite Scooter, is what happens. <laughs> I'd turn green with envy if I weren't already green. Well, I hope I didn't hurt his feelings. It's not easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it might be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. It's not easy being green. Seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. I wrote down, I know this sounds stupid, but it suddenly feels like we're watching a star, an icon. This is Kermit. (laughs) It was really strange. Like it went from just being like, oh, this is the Muppet show to then having Kermit do his own proper solo number in this quite nice green forest set, singing a song that is famously associated with him. I suddenly saw Kermit, the iconography, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like when you used to see when, you know, Jim Henson Productions used to have that little, and they used to draw the Kermit the Frog face and then it would turn into Jim Henson Productions. It's like seeing Jerry Halliwell in the Union Jack dress. Like any other time you see it, you go, oh, that's Jerry Halliwell. But then you see Jerry Halliwell at the Brit Awards wearing a unit Jack dress. You go, wow, that's Jerry Halliwell when she was in the Spice Girls. Super famous, super big moment. And seeing Kermit sing this song, I don't know, it just suddenly, it felt bigger than itself. Is this making any sense? (laughs) Yeah, it is. I think, 
in a way, this almost felt more like a movie moment yes. than a yes. moment from The Muppet Show. You know, there's no... Yes, we've had songs on The Muppet Show before, but usually either they're very disappointing <laughs> if there's not a kind of comedic twist to them, or there is some sort of comedic twist to them. This was just Kermit singing his song. You know, this is this is his anthem. And yes, it's done in a very sincere heartfelt manner but I agree with you I thought the staging was really lovely I also really liked that he finished by sitting down Mm. that really felt like you know that had like the kind of rainbow connection vibe to me because it's like you know yes he's not on a log but it's still him sitting down instead of just bobbing along the screen like Mm. we're very used to with the Muppet show Jade you are right the film it, it is more filmic because if you think about it in the sort of context of this episode of the Muppet show are the audience watching Kermit sing this number? Mm. Does mm. Kermit do it because of what has happened in the runner? So it's like a point in a musical where your emotions get to a point where you can no longer speak, you have to sing. Was he always going to sing this song at the end of the Peter Ustinov yeah. guesting episode of The Muppet Show? It doesn't really actually make sense when you look at it from that way, but it does feel more filmic. And maybe that's what I was responding to. Emma, what did you think? I agree. I kind of thought, especially... When you start off and you obviously see him walking along and then you get like the wide shot and you have the swamp and the green and the flowers and he's kind of doing his like, it's kind of like his moment. It feels like we've gone through the Mm. whole episode of everyone saying like they love Peter or like meeting Peter's their career highlight or they're in love with Peter or, or things like that. And then, like you say, it's kind of like this kind of really emotional moment where we get to see more of the Kermit that we know because kind of watched these past episodes and he hasn't quite been there or it's been like a different incarnation of him and I feel like we're getting closer to like the truer incarnation of Kermit and you do actually empathize with Kermit and like you say it is almost like he's got all this pent-up emotion and it's suddenly let out in this song and you know it is a iconic song that is forever connected to Kermit I think it turns a corner in terms of his character and like his yeah, status because obviously we're watching it with hindsight and knowing who Kermit is now. But I think if you've been watching the show from the start, you might not have necessarily liked Kermit and you've kind of got to like the midway point through the season. And this, I think, probably changes people's perception of him. For sure. This feels so much more the Kermit we know now. Absolutely. But I also think there's something really in what we've all been saying around the fact that this kind of hits as more filmic and I suppose on just like a different level than a lot of the skits, sketches, songs, whatever, is that it's also come at the end of this arc. So that in and of itself is a huge development for the show as a whole, isn't it? That it's actually Mm. followed through with a bit of character development and then crystallise that in a song. That's a musical. Mm. That's, you know, essentially Mm. then what you're saying is that, yes, it isn't actually that the whole show's been set up so that Kermit can have this moment. But in a way, it also is leaning on those tropes to do that. So you can... I mean, I suppose the thing that we're probably all going to remember from this episode is the runner and Kermit song at the end. Cynthia Birdley. Oh, sorry. What, what, was, what did you say? Sorry. <laughs> Cynthia Birdley. <laughs> but Cynthia Birdley and Peter Ustinov and everyone are just sort of, they're just there for some light, light relief and entertainment while Kermit's having his, having his moment in a way, really. Yeah. 
in the context of the episode, it was a bit of a random, almost down note mm. to end the episode on. But from a character standpoint and for us as Muppet fans, it was lovely to see. And as you said, Emma, a real turning point. It was a kind of a joy to see it in situ. I'd never seen it before. Obviously, I've heard Kermit sing that song, but never in its original incarnation. It's it's nice seeing its origins. Oh, what a, what a joy hindsight is. <laughs> they had performed it on Sesame Street before this. Ah, okay. But I mean, obviously, this is the first time it's been on The Muppet Show. Mm. Well, it felt like a very sweet and poignant way to end the episode, which then, <laughs> apart from a quick uh, gag with the actual coat rack and Peter Ustinov's so-so Kermit impression, sort of rounded off a very interesting episode. I'm very intrigued to see how everybody is going to mark it. But... Before we get to our episode ranking, it is time to decide upon our MVMP for the week. Emma, would you like to go first? Who was your MVMP for the week? Well, I've decided this week that I kind of had two, but then thinking about it and like how we've discussed and I spoke about his progression, I'm going to give my MVMP to Kermit based on what I said earlier when we were just discussing him during his like whole being green song I just really feel like he's gone on a journey and I know it's kind of corny to say he's been on a journey but I do feel like he's kind of reached who he's meant to be and I think that kind of song it turns over like a new leaf and it brings about like the Kermit that we know and we love and I think it's just really nice because although obviously he's been there from the very start I didn't feel like we were watching Kermit, if that makes sense. It didn't feel like it was properly Kermit. Mm. But I do think that this week especially, and maybe it's because it's halfway through the season, sorry, just over halfway through the season, they've really hit their stride of who they want Kermit to be. And especially kind of his bits in the runner as well. He's kind of really grown on me. So yeah, I think this week and for this episode, I'm going to give my MVMP to Kermit how about you Jade yeah I'm the same Emma Kermit is definitely the MVMP for me this week the only thing I can really say to add to what you've said is that I actually really enjoyed his characterization in sketches like the panel show discussion mm. I also thought he had really nice interplay with Peter Ustinov when they had that little moment with the start of the hat rack Muppet situation at the start of the episode and also actually throughout the whole runner the way that he was reacting to Scooter, to Hilda, to Piggy, you know, there was just something that just felt a little bit different about his character and like he was growing and there was that development there. And then to cap all of that off with it's not easy being green was just lovely. So I'm going with Kermit too. And I'm really curious to see whether they do sustain this or whether actually, as we've sort of seen with Piggy and Fozzie in the last few episodes it's still kind of unstable ground and maybe maybe he kind of reverts to his slightly cocky character or persona for a little bit or whether they do continue with the with the Kermit that we're more used to I think when I've given it to Kermit before it's really been because he's sort of held the whole episode together this exactly like you said Lewis this is because he actually was the star he was Kermit he was he was Kermit the Frog mm. to give him his official title. <laughs> Lewis, how about you? Where are you going? Well, you guys have both kind of said it all, really. So I suppose it's no surprise that my my vote is Cynthia Birdley. <laughs> I knew it would be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you guys have made fair points, but it's still not quite the Kermit we know all the way through. But I do agree that he was iconic. But in case Cynthia Birdley is never seen of again, I have to give it to our Jewish New York queen. (laughs) Like, puns, snapping back, great horn-rimmed glasses. I loved her. She's great. Bring back Cynthia Birdley. (laughs) All right, it's now time for our ranking uh, for the week. I'm going to reverse the order. Jade. What are you going to give this episode this week? I've struggled with this because I really, you know, there was a lot of the episode that I didn't really enjoy, but then there were moments that I did have more of a connection to. Um, And I also think it's quite hard to rate this because actually, as we've just been talking about with Kermit and it's not easy being green, some of the things that I enjoyed are not the things that we would necessarily be talking about enjoying with The Muppet Show thus far in in our journey through the show. But I think overall, I'm going to go for five hat rack writers which is a little bit of a tongue twister to say on balance i did probably enjoy about 50 percent of it and there was 50 percent of it that i easily could have lost i think a lot of what peter usenoff brought to the show is not what i'm looking for from the muppet show but actually the kermit runner finishing with not it's not easy being green the uk sport i really loved and there were some really fun little moments in there, like the you do something to me. Yeah, it was chaotic and anarchic, but it was just pure Muppets. Um, and I know they can do better because we've seen it. But I also think that there have been episodes that I have that there's been even less for me to enjoy. So I think giving it the 50 percent mark is like kind of spot on for, for where I'm at mm. with this particular episode. I think if there hadn't have been the Kermit runner this probably would have been my least favourite episode. But actually having Kermit have that journey saved the episode for me. Emma, how about you? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you said that, Jade, because to be completely honest, you probably picked out the bits that I enjoyed the most. Because um, I was mm. going to say definitely like the UK spot was actually quite strong. Um, I thought this episode... Um, it's not easy being green, Kermit's runner, and you do something to me. Um, so again, I think I'm going to give it five accent showcases out of 10 this week. <laughs> um, purely because I think as, as you kind of already mentioned, there were some really great bits in there that kind of gave us um, a really good character development in terms of Kermit. But I think if you take those bits away and you take away the UK spot and you take away it's not easy being green, the other bits are not as good and are a bit so-so, especially kind of like the Boston Pops with the balloons and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've kind of come to a sort of same conclusion as you that I'm going to give this episode this week a five. How about you, Lewis? It's a clean sweep across the board. It is... (laughs) Five use-by-date explosions out of ten. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any point of me sort of uh, rehashing what you both have already said. It's an average episode held up by a good central performance, albeit not by our guest. <laughs> but he has fun, it seems, and there's some nice accent work, and we get some good piggy, and a couple of fun, like, one-off sketches. It's an entirely average episode that is is held in that place by some really great character growth. And the emergings from Tadpole to the spectacular frog that we all know and love as Kermit. Jade, why don't you close the episode by giving us some Muppet philosophy? (laughs) (laughs) 
if you're wondering why we're all laughing, Lewis has just tried and failed to say this like five times. <laughs> okay, so yes. So this is from Jim Henson, the biography by Brian J. Jones. And there's a little snippet in here about It's Not Easy Being Green. So I thought I would read a section about the song that also finishes, I think, with a little bit of Henson philosophy that, of course, is Jim Henson philosophy, but it's actually from Cheryl Henson, who is one of Jim's daughters. So it starts by describing the background of the song. So during the months they were taping Sesame Street, director John Stone and composer Joe Raposo would meet each week at a bar just across the street from CTW headquarters, where the two would discuss the music needed for upcoming episodes. I'd sit there and I would give Joe just a list of tunes I needed music to, Stone said. Halfway through Sesame Street's first season, Stone sat down across from the tunesmith and laid down a requirement for the coming week. We need a song for a frog. From that seemingly simple request came one of Raposo's most endearing tunes, Being Green, an anthem for tolerance and self-acceptance that seemed tailor-made as a hymn for the new decade, still struggling with the turbulent civil rights reform, political scepticism and sputtering idealism that had marked the ends of the 60s. So then it kind of talks about the song. The bit that I really wanted to talk about in terms of the Muppet philosophy point of view is here. As time went on and as Jim performed the song more and more, he would figure out how to get the most from it, slowing it down slightly to give it a more humble, introspective feel, which made the turn into the final verses one of quiet celebration. It was the song's resolution in the last verse, said Cheryl Henson, that truly fit her father best. When green is all there is to be, it could make you wonder why. But why wonder? Why wonder? I am green and it'll do fine. It's beautiful. And I think it's what I want to be. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, we're so lucky to have the Muppets. And you guys are all so lucky to have Muppet Sational. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us again this week. <laughs> Did that work? <laughs> if you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetsational on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can contact us at hi-ho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com thank you so much for joining us for another <laughs> just i'll use a peter utenoff noise <laughs> episode of muppet sational i've uh, i've been lewis chandler goodbye i've been jade turner see you next week and i've been emma chandler bye we'll see you next week on muppet sational Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram. <laughs>